But then I asked them, hey, if I gave you this $100 bill, what would you do with it? And what that turned into was a literal exercise in financial behavior because the vast majority of the responses when I posed that to that class and I've posed it pretty much to every school I've spoken at is they would spend it. They would buy something. What it shows is that our children are almost conditioned to consume at a very early age. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. I am pleased you are with us for another episode. This week, we talk to Mac Gardner. But before we get into this episode, I do have a favor. If you can, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. That would be great. I appreciate the reviews and they do help bring wonderful guests onto the show. So who is Mac Gardner? Well, he's the founder and chief education officer of Finlit Tech. He has served in the financial services industry for over 20 years. As you will hear on this episode, Mac has a passion for educating others, which has led him to publish two books, one, Motivate Your Money, and the second, The Four Money Bears. As founder and chief education officer of Finland Tech, he works to build a bridge between financial literacy and financial technology. We have a lot of insightful conversations around how we can best bridge financial literacy with technology so we can have positive impacts and effects on children for the next generations. During this interview, you will hear just how much passion and commitment Mac has to his goal, to his mission of really building this bridge. We talk about how and why embracing and accepting course corrections during our money stories are really impactful and in fact are really healthy in our money journey. We talk about how our families influence our money stories, how children observe and learn from their parents in terms of how parents handle their money, Mac explains his five steps to financial success, how to teach our kids good habits in and around money. We talk about how and why teaching our children about money is really a generational gift and so much more. You're going to hear many Mac nuggets as you'll come to learn what is a Mac nugget. So I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Mac Gardner. So please Check Mac out online, grab a copy of his book, The Four Money Bears, or Motivate Your Money. I'm sure you'll enjoy them. Mac, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. This is uh, an honor to be here and to to share the virtual stage with you, sir. Yes, I am looking forward to it. As someone who appreciates the value of stories, 
I, I understand you do as well, especially through your books. As a father who has kids, I appreciate the work you're doing with teaching the youth about the value about money. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this. Before we start recording, we were talking about where I live in Alberta that has really, really long, beautiful roads with mountains on, on some of the sides near the mountains. But my question is around course corrections. So no matter how straight the Alberta road is, we still find ourselves steering a little bit to make sure that we make these minor adjustments so that we don't go off the road and go to a different direction. When you look back, reflecting on your story and observing your road of choice, what influence, if anything at all, did your family have on the course corrections that resulted in you changing from your aspirations of being a, from what I recall, agency officer to entering into the financial services industry? I love how you started off that question, John, which is the value of stories in people's lives. I truly believe that all we are at the end of our days is a collection of stories. Like literally, we go through life, we hear, and we share stories. And so for me, I look back at influences that families have. And my dad, uh, from the Caribbean, parents uh, from the islands, my dad focused on education. It was really important to him. And so my dad went to Howard University for his undergrad. Then he went to NYU and got his MBA, got his master's and all that good stuff. And so for me and for us, finances were discussed in the house. Like it was just talked about. I remember sitting down with dad talking about assets, liabilities, income expenses, balance sheets and all that stuff. So, you know, it, it was a relatively natural place for me to be comfortable. Sadly, Sean, a vast majority of society won't get those stories because they don't have parents that happen to be in finance, which is why I wrote my first book, Motivate Your Money, to really simplify a lot of what's out there, the things that we do as advisors for people. Because look, you think about it, you wake up every morning, you go do your job, what you need to do, you take care of your family. No one's really sitting around understanding the difference between a qualified and non-qualified plan, why term is better than perm and all that fun stuff. So the easier and the earlier you can simplify things for people, the better. And so that's actually how the Full Money Bears book came to be because we found out that research shows that a child's connectivity with money starts by age seven. So if we could start the conversation early, the better. Yeah. Okay, great. Out of curiosity, which island did your father come from? So my dad is from Antigua and my mom is from Haiti. And everyone was like, that's a weird combination. Where do they meet? Like Washington, D.C.? They're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Children, we start absorbing and observing stories. Or, I guess we observe behaviors that turn into stories for ourselves. Are there any stories that stand out from when you were growing up where you are memorable and kind of have formed some of the lens how you see money or how you believe that money should be taught? I like to say that you grow up with those two mindsets. You grow up with an abundance mindset or you grow up with a scarcity mindset. If you are in a home where you have resources and there's abundance, you, you, the conversations about money and your mindset about money are going to be a lot different versus someone who grew up in a home that had more of a scarcity mindset and, and the resources weren't always there and it, you know, it, it wasn't always easy to have things. So I think growing up in a, in a Caribbean household growing up in a, with a family that didn't have a lot and worked really hard to get things, but fortunate to have family that educated and discussed finances and viewed it as a tool 
and as a resource that you need to learn how to utilize. I think that's what helped helped me a lot growing up as a child. Dad was very focused on <laughs> budget and focused on making sure you didn't overspend and do things along those lines. And so that I think is really, really important. And interesting fact, a child's spending behavior is actually the first behavior that they pick up from their parents. They actually listen and view how mom and dad talk about money and what they do with money. And that's actually the first behavior they pick up is, is their spending behavior. I was having a, another conversation on the podcast recently who also wrote a children's book and had an influence from an Asian culture. And what I mean by that is more of a collectivist, more of a family dynamic, which really has helped shape their lens on how they view money now because they, they see money is, allows them to have the time to spend with their family, which to them brings more fulfillment. With your families, with the backgrounds from the different Caribbean islands, what perspective did they bring around family? And did that have any influence in and around how you saw money? How much time we got for this, Sean? Because yeah. you're, you're delving in. No, seriously, you're delving into. I'm some sorry, really, my really curiosity is getting sparked. No, it, no it's, it's fascinating because so one of our clients uh, here at FinTech is eMoney, and they are working diligently to develop a really cool resource called Incentive, which is like financial planning light, financial planning for the 99% as we like to call it. And one of the things that we did is we created a webinar series last year. And one of the topics of the webinar series was the culture of money. Oh, okay. <laughs> Literally. So we had CFP leaders like John Eng, Chloe Moore, Luis Rosa uh, that came on board and really started talking to folks about how their culture and how their background shaped the lens of how money was viewed in their culture and then, you know, formulated how, how they kind of did their thing in their life. So I, again, I think it, it boils down to how money is viewed in the household. Again, that, that, that abundance mindset versus that scarcity mindset. In fact, Luis has a great story. He shared, he said, growing up, there wasn't people passing on wealth and family. He said, this is fascinating. He said, the thing that stuck out in his mind as making it is when a family member passed away and had enough life insurance to bury them. That was making it in, in, in his world. And depending on where you come from, the way money is utilized in that culture, in that household, definitely shapes how you utilize it in your life to, to, to obtain your goal. So you're right. Culture is important for us. It was really, again, it, it was more of a scarcity mindset. My parents, my family didn't come from money. And so we definitely learned how to utilize it and make sure that we stretch things and, and got as much out of it as we could. I think I could see with your dad teaching you about it earlier. I mean, look at your career now. You're teaching other children. So a couple of years back, I did a paper on my family's money story. And my, my dad's family came over as immigrant farmers from the Ukraine. And it in Alberta, again, here I'm talking about Alberta again, but uh, there's a lot of Ukrainian farmers because at that time, the government was encouraging people to come over to Ukraine to farm. There's this saying that Ukrainians are cheap. And then when I heard the, the, the story, how they came over from the Ukraine, traveled across Canada, got here, went to f get their farm, and there was no farm. It was forest, and they had to take it down. And so basically, distrust in the government. And they didn't want to depart with their money. And it, just hearing these stories really saw like, ah, oh, yeah, to your point, how it shapes the lens of our culture. Our, our culture shapes how we feel about money. So let's get into your first, your first book, Motivate Your Money. I thought something was really 
powerful statement. And I believe this is from the book or a comment you made in and around the book that I want to pick your brain on. But you said your emotions should be colorful, but your finances should be black and white. Can you elaborate on that? And the reason why I thought it was insightful is so many books are very prescriptive in the nature of like, do this, do this and ignore the, um, not ignore, but sometimes don't include the emotion side. Why was it important for you to have this statement? If my kids were in here, they're like, yes, Papa, we know habits, behaviors, traits, habits, behaviors, traits, good habits, become good behaviors, good good traits. But why that's so important, especially in finance is because those habits that, that start off early, right? become the behaviors and those behaviors eventually become the traits. And so when I would sit down with clients and do financial planning and, you know, I've I've done thousands of financial plans of my career, I want to get a better understanding of the emotional behavioral connections, the sort of money story, like how they think and feel about money. Right. Because it's important, but it's, also important to have that delineation that your finances should be black and white assets minus liabilities equals net worth. (laughs) It it doesn't matter how you feel or what you think about it. That stuff needs to be black and white. If you overspend, you cannot save. (laughs) And if you cannot save, you don't have the ability to invest. <laughs> and so there, there's certain steps that you got to understand that, yeah, okay, your emotions should be very colorful, which, which is fine. I'm glad that you feel that way. I'm glad all these things, you know, shape how you view things and how you look at things. But when you start looking at your finances, you have to look at almost like a business and you have to make sure that that side of the, of, of the fence is, is fairly black and white. And you, you have understanding that there's a reason why it needs to be that way. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think it's it, it's giving people permission to feel, like you said, whatever feelings. On the kids' book, think about your book, our kids have the color monster books where it talks about the colors of their emotions. So it made me think of that. But what I like about it is you're, you're, you're putting two different compartments. It's like, yeah, this is there. It will be there. But don't get this too messy or not messy, but like don't confuse it. And And in that book, you include... I believe it's five of what, what I've come to know are Mac nuggets. <laughs> so maybe for, for, for those listeners who don't know what a Mac nugget is, can you share the, the five major Mac nuggets in this, yeah. in this book? <laughs> so I love it, that name too. It's, it's funny because I was, I was doing a, one of these shows and we were talking and I talk about the five steps to financial success, right? Again, try to simplify things for people. And what happened was I had been working with, folks doing financial planning and work with people that had substantial assets. I mean, but it was just mind blowing that they didn't have a lot of financial planning background or education. And so what I noticed over my career is folks were reaching their goals and reaching financial success and doing these five things that they didn't even realize that they were doing. So step one is they had a plan. They, so they planned accordingly, right? A plan to do whatever, buy a house, go on vacation, whatever. They had some sort of plan. Step two, they spend cautiously, right? They earned X. They spent way less than X. They saved diligently. They had a process of putting money away somewhere. And then third, they invested wisely, either through the help of a financial advisor or someone that said, hey, you know, you need to put money in a 401k and this account to have your money grow for you. And then the fifth one is they gave generously. They were, they were givers. They donated their time, their money throughout their, their lifetime. And then all of a sudden they reached this point in their life where they had assets to be able to retire or even pass on to the next generation. And so 
in, in my attempt to simplify some of these concepts for people, someone's like, Mac, those are great Mac nuggets. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what? They are. And I tell people it's it's not McDonald's. I'm M-A-C nuggets. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they are M-C. And those other nuggets might not get your bank account looking like what yours can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. It may, it may get your waistline bigger, but not necessarily, yeah. your bank, not necessarily your bank account. Just an observation I make on all of these Mac nuggets is the second word you chose to include. You could have just put plan, spend, save, invest, and give. But it really, it, it, to me, it adds some depth and almost more of a connection when you put plan accordingly, spend cautiously, save diligently, invest wisely, and give generously. How intentional was that second word? Extremely. You hit the nail on the head on making things a little bit deeper and, and making it have purpose. Because if I say, hey, look here, go out and uh, plan, save, spend, give, and uh, invest. Hey, have fun. So people were like, dude. Yeah, I knew that because here's what it is. Those four things that I mentioned, they're literally the four functions of money. That's all money can do. You can spend it, save it, invest it, or give it away. That's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's interestingly how the full money bears concept came to me. I literally took those five steps of financial success and I said, okay, how can we distill this into something that kids can understand and a parent with a young child can understand, right? And so that's how we came up with the full money bear, spend a bear, save a bear, invest a bear, and give a bear. And that's the mantras of the full money bears as well. Okay. So now you write this, this book for adults. And now, like you said, the four money bears back to our driving on the road course correction, I would assume, because your target audience is now children. How did the four money bears come to fruition? And why did you decide to write a children's book? So have my practice, chugging along, doing my thing, help my clients, try to get them from A to B, reach their financial goals, make sure they're talking about and understanding their banking and their investing and their insurance and their state planning and tax management, yada, yada, yada. One of my clients comes to me and says, Mac, love your first book. Love your Mac Nuggets. She was on the board of an organization, a not-for-profit organization called Jack and Jill in Houston. She said, Mac, would you be open to writing a book or creating something for young kids? I was like, well, how young, you know, she was like, well, we had elementary school children at the time. And so I said, okay. So I started doing some research and and ran across this Cambridge study that shows a child's connectivity with money starts as early as age seven, sometimes as early as age five. I was like, huh, okay, this is interesting. And so I I looked at sort of building blocks, like what, what building blocks can we, can we help folks understand so that if you are a parent that never got this yourself and are really, really looking for a fun and entertaining way to start the conversation with your child. How can we, you know, how can we package that? And I was like, kids love bears. One, two, in our house, I'm Papa Bear. My wife is Mama Bear and the kids are our baby bears. And so that's really the, the book is a story of me and my wife teaching our kids about money. And so that is how the Full Money Bears book came to be. That's, that's fascinating. This one's about the kids then and the family. So you, you write this book. You have this, this idea to write, write a book, a children's book. It's based on your family. After you went through this journey of writing the book and now you're, you're getting the book out, how, if anything at all, did your own relationship with your kids change after going through all these concepts and getting more intimate with them? Aha moment for me for us with the kids was really the baby, the little, so we have three kids. We have Mimi bear, JJ bear and the munch, the baby bear. And so 
Blake, the little dude was like a year old when I wrote the book. And so as you flip through the book, the storyline is your, you know, family's driving to whatever department store you go to on a weekend. And the first place the kids run off to is the toy aisle, right? They run to the toy section. They always want to buy stuff. And it was kind of like, we're fortunate that we can afford to buy them stuff every time they go, but they, I don't think they have any clue idea whatsoever, what, what money does or how, how, how it works in their lives. And so wrote the book, took it to my kid's school. They're like, Oh, pop, your, your dad's an author. And you know, yeah. they're young kids. They're like, yeah, they, they don't see too many other papas coming in. And so that was pretty cool to be sort of a, a, a rock star in, in, in the kids' lives because Papa Bear was coming in and, and reading a book to, to these kids and giving the book away. So that was one, but two, was when the little dude got old enough to realize that he was the baby bear oh. in the book, bro. It, it was one of those like super cool. As a dad, are you a dad yourself? Yeah, Sean? yeah. As a father, or as a parent, man, when 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 that little guy looks in your eyes, looks in your eyes, it's like, is that me, Pop? I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm in a book. Like, yeah, dude, you're in a book. So that was that was oh. the second thing that was super super cool. I actually just got like goosebumps on my body. First, I started thinking about when you said like the rock star dad going into this school. I'm like, that is my like aspirational goal now to go into school and be that dad. But then oh yeah, that acknowledgement from the kid, the baby bear to see that they're in there. What yeah, a gift. It was, it was super awesome. And, and then as, as the, everything developed, because we were really blessed. When I tell you, John, that when I wrote this book, I did it as a, really at a request of a client to, to help kids in the community. But today we have global book sales. We have book sales in Canada, UK, France, Canada. <laughs> France, Germany, you know, all around the Caribbean. And it, we feel so blessed. And what it shows us is that financial literacy isn't just a U.S. thing. It's a global concern. People, people want to teach their kids about how to manage their money properly. Absolutely. And what I appreciate about this book is the lessons contained in it. There's a duality that is existing there where it's not, at least I notice it's not just for the kids. (laughs) There is an engage. Let's touch on that. Yeah, I'm going to stop. Go you there. Was that intentional? Extremely, 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 extremely. Because here's the thing. That elementary school segment, they still read books. They still open books and they still read books with their parents. You see what I'm saying? And they also are this probably the last demographic in our society that actually uses money, that actually gets money from the tooth fairy and has a dollar and hasn't gone thoroughly digital yet. And so it was extremely intentional. In fact, some of the, some of the best feedback we've got from parents is like, Mac, I know you wrote this book for kids, <laughs> but I'm learning stuff about stocks and bonds and real estate. So thank you for not making it too kitty. Yeah, it was thoroughly intended. We have worksheets in the back where the, the, the parents and the kids can read it together and, and understand that it's important for, for, for both, both mom and dad and kid to, to go through this journey together. Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate that, uh, how you designed it in that way. So as you're going into these schools, what level of engagement did you see with these students? And I say this, I've been in schools where I've taken a pre-designed program and I go and volunteer and I realized that that whole three hours was probably more about me trying to feel good by doing a good deed because what I taught was unfortunately boring budget stuff that was zero engagement with the kids. So how are you engaging these students? Because you clearly are. Funny story. 
first day, go into an elementary school and these children are literally running around like mad people. Like, how are we going to corral these elementary school children and get them to focus on what I have to say? And I keep a hundred dollar bill in my wallet. And I said, okay, you know what? There's what I call the three E's of public speaking. You want to engage, you want to educate, and you want to entertain, right? If you can, make folks enjoy what they're doing, what they're hearing. So like, how am I going to engage these elementary school kids? So I take the $100 bill out of my wallet, I open it up, and all of a sudden these kids see the $100 bill, like, oh, and I said, okay, first, full disclaimer, there is no answer you give me <laughs> that will get you this hundred dollar <laughs> bill. So let's just say that right now. And they also kind of chuckle. Ah, but then I asked them, Hey, if I gave you this hundred dollar bill, what would you do with it? And what that turned into Sean was a literal exercise in financial behavior because the majority vast majority of the responses when i posed that to that class and i've posed it pretty much to every school i've spoken at is they would spend it they would buy something and you have the one-off kid but like i put in my piggy bank i'm like okay you lie <laughs> thanks yeah. for being different <laughs> yeah. you probably wouldn't do that but what it shows is that our children are almost conditioned to consume at a very early age. I mean, we're talking about second, third, fourth, fifth graders here that were that, that are part of this, this process. And so we, we talk about the three R's of our relationship with money and it actually pertains to relationship with everything in our lives. So the first R is we realize what money is. You're a kid, someone puts some, some, some paper in your hand, you're like, this is money. Oh, I realize what it is. Second R is you recognize the function of what money does. Okay, I know I can spend it. I know I can save it. You got two. Remember, there are four, but you only have two because a vast majority of children are only exposed to two. So if you realize what money is, you recognize what it does. Your third R is you start to rationalize how to use it in your life. So if all you're aware of are these two functions of money, the fact that you can go buy stuff with it or just put in your piggy bank, but there are actually four, you can invest it or you can give it away. Imagine the paradigm shift, John, in a child's life, a family's life, where they now realize they've got other options. So when that $100 bill comes into their hand, okay, I can spend some of it. I could put some of my piggy bank hey, you know what? I've heard about this company called Nike. They make really cool sneakers. Did you know that you can actually own shares of Nike? And the technology is now here to allow parents with young kids to, to own fractional shares. <laughs> they can actually buy $5 worth of Nike or Starbucks or whatever it is. And so that's really how FinLitech came to be was we were looking in classrooms and we're looking and, you know, kids love books, teachers love books. But in order to scale this resource, we've got to use fintech. We've got to use technology. And so that's why I'm on building a bridge between financial literacy and financial technology so that we can get the game out to more kids so that more young people at an early age will understand that they actually have four options when it comes to their money. That's fantastic. Your mission of building a bridge between financial literacy and financial technology, to me, addresses a concern that we have experienced and maybe have not seen in the financial profession for a while, and that's implementation science. 
financial literacy has been around for, for a while. And I look at the statistics in America and Canada, money's still stressing us out beyond belief. And, and we've got this, you know, you noticed it with your clients. We, we, the four things are simple, but we don't always implement them. So how do you envision this intersection between financial literacy and financial technology can aid our youth with this implementation issue that we have that promotes behavior change? Love everything you just said. I got to find a way to kind of like package that because it, it literally hits on our formula for financial wellness. Financial wellness is starting to bubble up a lot and it's been big in the sort of HR corporate space. It's starting to bubble up on the wealth management financial advisory side. And we believe Trump is actually a formula to financial, financial wellness. You hit the nail on the head when you said that there is gobs of financial literacy information out there. Like you go on Google <laughs> and you will have just tons and tons of information. Many of which is shame inducing because I'm like, I should just do this, but I can't. <laughs> exactly. But here's the thing. You can have all the information in the world. If you don't have the tools to implement it, which is the fintech financial technology aspect, you can't ever get to that financial wellness, right? And so the project that we're working on right now is we're developing an app, a first of its kind children's financial literacy app slash game called the Four Money Beers Berryville. And here's the overall premise. It's a farming game. So when folks bought our book, a lot of their, the, 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 the feedback we're getting is Mac love that you've taught I wrote a book that teaches kids about what to do with money once they get it. Are you working on writing a book to teach them how to make it? <laughs> because earning money is super important. And so what we are doing with the Full Money Bears Berryville is we are providing a tool, a early childhood financial education resource that allows a child or parent or user to experience both sides of the personal finance fence. They're going to be able to learn entrepreneurship and understand what it takes to make money through their berry farm that they're running. And then, then the other side is going to be the money management. And we're going to have quizzes and quests that actually teach folks about what to do with the money once they have it. We're going to look at behavioral finance. We're going to look at all these factors. We've developed something called a TAT method, where it's a new way of teaching financial literacy, where we teach, we analyze, and we track. So we're going to be teaching about financial literacy, teaching about money management, teaching about the things you should be doing with your money, analyzing all the different steps that you're taking. Are you, are you too much of a spender? Or are you saving too much? You know, are you putting everything back in the business and investing too much? Are you too much of a giver? And then give some sort of nudges to, you know, make sure everything is, is balanced. And then lastly, we're going to be able to track the progress of the user over time. Because as we said before earlier, financial literacy is not a one and done. You can't throw a book. You can't show up at a kid's school for three hours. And all of a sudden, these kids are financially literate. It's, it's behaviors over time. So we need to be able to track that progress over time. And that's what we're going to be doing with our new, uh, new app. That's fantastic. So with this app, you said you're developing it. So you're good to talk about it? Yeah, yeah. you can actually download the demo right now. If you oh. go to the fullmoneybears.com, you, you can download the demo, kick the tires and, and see what the whole, the whole idea is all about. Okay, great. So are they building a farm in, the, in this app? You inherit your family's berry farm. Okay. And you have to talk about farming right earlier. You, you have to clean the farm up. You have to get the, the house ready, clean the barn up, do all these things. And then, and then that's going to be the way that you, you earn funds is by, is by tending your farm and selling your berries at the bay market. Oh, wonderful. We talked about this implementation issue and here's your, 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 your answers. We're going to have an app. We're going to engage kids. They're going to actually build and do the work, so to speak, that 
is getting them implement these things. I love this TAC thing, teach, analyze, and track. It's perfect. Feedback helps us course correct, as we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are your views or perspectives on where you guys can take this in terms of reach, accessibility? Because yeah. when we look, no matter, if we look anywhere, unfortunately, due to various various things, socioeconomical status, gender, race, income inequalities, very, very little people have access to really good information. And you said something earlier that just spoke to me. You said e-money has financial planning for the 99%, which is just like, how have we gotten to a place that it's only like the 99% have been left out? But anyhow, how do you foresee and envision this technology to help scale and reduce those barriers of entry? I like to say there's a bunch of tech out there that can help you do things with your money. So banking, investing, insurance, lending, I can, I can, I can get a half a million dollar mortgage on my phone right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a bunch of tech on that side. Sean, there's hardly anything out there to teach you what to do with your money. And so our premise is relatively simple provide a game and we're really going to be looking at getting into three markets. One is going to be B2C, you know, it's going to be available on the Apple iStore. It's going to be on, on Android and you're going to be able to download it. If your kid's spending a lot of time on a device, might as well have them play a game and learn something. So that's one, two schools. We have gotten a lot of feedback from educators looking for a consistent platform that they can use, whether you're a teacher in New York, Florida, Canada, wherever, uh, to be able to, to, to teach, analyze, and track. And third are financial institutions. We're working with banks here in the United States that have a program called the CRA, Community Reinvestment Act. They are incentivized to actually give back to the community. So we are working with several banks in the state of Florida. And once the app is developed, we're utilizing our book first, getting the book into the communities, letting kids know, hey, you know what? We're, we're going analog. <laughs> we're, we're, we're going hard copy here first. And then once the app gets built, we'll now have the ability to utilize a digital resource to get out to the communities and really just start changing stories of communities. You look at underserved local communities, we would love to be able to deploy a game into a region or area and then we'll see what grows from that. I, I heard an amazing statistic, shocked but not surprised, that a child's financial success is almost exclusively determined by the zip code they grew up in. So imagine all of a sudden now a kid's playing this game and all of a sudden this concept of investing pops up and they turn around to mom and dad and say, hey, you know, I, I want to be able to invest. I want to be able to do things. I want to be able to, and all of a sudden this, 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 this ability, this vision, this awareness of ownership starts popping into the minds of these young people, the, the ideas of entrepreneurship, because really what, what we're creating is, is really a digital lemonade stand <laughs> for kids and, and really the on-ramp to their digital financial education journey. And that's what we're believing in our heart of hearts can be a resource and a tool to really change things and, and make some systematic changes in, in communities and in the lives of, of families that have been underserved for years. I really appreciate that, Mac. And, you know, you mentioned uh, ownership and it seems to me that doing this game almost gives them familiarity with ownership and permission to say, hey, I can own something when maybe that narrative wasn't present before. 
And you don't have to just say how you leave. I, I don't believe you're in your old roles at all. Are you, is this what you? No, no, no. I'm, I, I'm, I'm both feet into Finland. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. You can observe that you were on this journey and one would say, look at, he's got what the business major wants. And then you go leave that to, to serve the community, I think is just a good story in your talking about stories that other people <laughs> will see and follow. As you develop this app and engaging people to play games, as innovation continues to evolve, as Finlet Tech evolves, what is exciting you right now? What's really exciting me is, is that tools are being developed to really address issues. So I, I told you about eMoney and our partnership with them. They have, have literally been such ardent supporters of what we're doing in our mission. They realized that they have been working with the 1%. Like literally, if you ask a majority of the high net worth, ultra high net worth financial advisors out there that have clients that are worth millions of dollars, their go-to financial planning software is eMoney, right? Cash flow based, aggregating accounts, blah, 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 blah. Love it. The leadership in eMoney realize like, okay, we've got to build tools and resources for the other 99% because they need help too. You know, I like to say every oak tree has a little point of acorn, right? Another Mac nugget. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that's what I think it, it, and I'm seeing is really cool. So this whole Finla tech, which, which is short for financial literacy technology, right? What we envision this thing becoming is really an umbrella or, or a space for other people who are looking to develop technology to expand awareness and promote financial literacy. One of the folks, that, a good friend, and is also an advisory board gentleman by the name of Evan Leapart, he created a platform called Kitty Credit, and it teaches kids about credit at a very early age. You know, I, I have Jedediah Collins, another good friend of mine, CFP, he does amazing things and he's working with athletes and, 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 and trying to impact young people from the high school level. And he's developing really cool platforms. Tanya Van Court, who is a, a lady of color and created a, a platform called Goal Setter, which is, you know, a debit card and it's an app and it teaches kids about finances and so on and so forth. So that, that's what it to me is super cool is, is to see this space grow where really there wasn't anything before. Mm-hmm. Not much, I should say, not anything. <laughs> yeah, wow. My daughter is only three, but she calls herself a cat. When she's old enough, I'll introduce her to, her to Kitty Credit. I'm sure she'll enjoy that. Yeah. No, Kitty, K-I-D-D-I-E. As oh, in a kid. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought Kitty it was Kitty. Credit. Yeah, no, yeah, no, Kitty, Kitty, Kitty. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. she might still like it. She, she probably will. will. She, she, she will. will. She yeah. will. It's a cool one. Yeah. And, and something else that I observed when I'm looking at the work you're doing is back to this, making it approachable and accessible for many. I've asked you a couple of times, were things intentional? So I'm going to assume the answer is yes on this one. But when I look at the cover and the forebears, I can see that there are different colors. What significance did that mean to you to include that on the cover? So to answer your question so that you didn't assume, so I can actually tell yeah. you, yes, that was okay. intentional. One of the issues that we are having as an industry, financial services, wealth management, financial advisory, is we don't have enough young people getting into it to backfill all the folks that are retiring. And so when I wrote this book, part of it, it, it was intentional. I made two of the Bears boys, I made two of the Bears girls. 
I intentionally made them different sizes, different shapes, and different colors as an overt nod <laughs> to the need for more diversity, equity, and inclusion in our industry, in education, and a lot of different areas of our world. So the thought process is, if more young people can actually pay attention, care about their personal finances from an early age, it could potentially be an awareness as a career path to be a financial advisor, to be a certified financial planner, to be in finance. And so, yes, the, the idea was to be able to make sure that, you know, kids of all colors, sex, all that can see themselves in these beers. And, and hopefully long-term, the long tail of this is, is to, you know, potentially even get more folks in, in our industry. Just back to that duality that exists between teaching the children about this, but you made me think, there's so many untold stories around money happening in households because they might not have the confidence. Like when I say they, the parents might not have the confidence to engage in these stories, but you're giving them that permission to have those conversations by giving them this book. That's what we're working on, man. We realize that there are tons of people out in the United States and the world that never got this education. There's a, a Chinese proverb that says, if your plan is for a year, plant rice. If your plan is for 10 years, plant a tree. If your plan is for 100 years, teach a child. Mm. So that's why we think it's really important. Our BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goal, Sean, is for every child in the world to learn about money through the four money bears. So we're just we're, we're trying to build the tools to get it out there. Good for you guys. I think I'm going to ask you a question that I ask everybody now. Imagine you are at the end of life. And the transition between this last question or your answer made me think, okay, this time. But imagine you're anywhere in life that brings you peace or contentment with, with your life's journey so far. You're at end of life. You're, look, you're sitting on this front porch looking at an ocean, lake, a meadow, a mountain, whatever helps bring you that peace. And you decide to write one final story about, to, to your kids' kids, actually, or, or to the person who's going to write the next book for children about what you learned to have a happy and healthy relationship with money, what would the theme be to that book? The theme to that book would be, you can't eat tomorrow what you didn't plant yesterday, especially when it comes to money. People care what you look like. People care what you sound like. People care where you're from. Money doesn't. Money is just a tool. It's literally a tool. And the earlier in life we learn how to utilize that tool, the better off you will be later in life, not just for you, but for generations after you. You see what I'm saying? So that, that's, that's what I would, I would just say, hey, you know what? Start early, doing things early, making decisions and making smart decisions early in life because the, the, the little decisions that you make with your money today can have far-reaching impact and effects on the, the, the people that, that you bring into this world. Wow. You know, you mentioned that about the tree and a tree can burn, but uh, knowledge imparted on a child, it's there. I talk about people focusing on the fruits and not the roots of money, right? Yeah, that, people look at the shiny, bright things that, that money gets you and it's like, nah, actually, you need to focus on the roots. You need to, you need to focus on the knowledge behind that stuff because if you got a weak tree, man, that thing will either die or it may provide some fruit for a little bit, but you won't be able to have that big orchard. A lot of my metaphors, Sean, deal with gardening. 
I do like to garden. I, oh. I do enjoy it immensely. And so I, I, I reference plants and trees a lot when, uh-huh. <laughs> when I talk to people about their money. The, the, that, but last, that last statement had like five Mac nuggets within it. <laughs> um, and I think the, the, the planting analogy is so, so applicable to this is yeah. I like that. You can't eat. Well, I wrote you can't eat tomorrow, eat, but, which you didn't plant yesterday. Yeah. Well, Mac, thank you so much for joining us. For our audience, where would you point them to get the books, websites, information about the app? I know you already alluded to that, but the floor is yours. Yeah. So for folks interested in learning more, you can definitely check out our website, the4moneybears.com. So it's T-H-E-F-O-U-R-M-O-N-E-Y-B-E-A-R-S. I spell it out because some people put the number four in and they don't put the the. So it's the4moneybears.com. Love for folks to go and check out the uh, the demo, download the demo and give us their thoughts uh, on, on what they like and what they would like to see uh, in the game. You can buy the book on Amazon. Like you can pretty much buy everything nowadays. It seems both of our books, both motivate your money as well as the four money bears. And if you want to see some of the work that we've done working with thought leaders, when it comes to financial wellness and, and building that bridge between financial industry and financial technology, you can go to www.finlittech.com. And yeah, man, just, uh, I like to tell folks that the, the journey, the financial life journey is a long one and having resources like yours, Sean, folks that, that really care about helping people on that journey is, is, is a great resource. So thank you again for having me and the journey continues. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And you could, you could feel through the zoom call your energy and your, your dedication towards your cause. So thank you. No, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, again, we, we can help a lot of people and, Technology is a great way to do it. This resources platform that we have right here that you've developed is is doing great things to, to spread and ensure knowledge. So again, Sean, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. My wealth is measured and now I spend my time. But now I write freedom story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life. It's just the wind in the sail.